As a human race for over a century, we've accomplished amazing things, massive strides in the fields of medicine and technology. We've discovered some of the mysteries of the universe. We've created incredible gadgets that could allow us to speak to people and see them across the world. Anything that needs to happen, we can do it. Anything that's broken, we can fix it. Any problem medically, we could somehow find the cure. We march forward, we're progressing with a sense of confidence, with a sense of power, control, with a feeling of arrogance. Our sphere of influence continues to widen, and we feel that there's nothing that stands in our way. The world, or even more, the universe, is really in our hands. It's been difficult, therefore, to have a sense of humility, to stand on the sidelines and feel helpless, to feel that we really don't have control. It's been difficult to surrender until about a week and a half ago. Our world has changed drastically. God willing, it's only a temporary change and we look forward to getting back to normalcy as soon as possible. But in the meantime, and perhaps for the first time, we see questions and we don't have answers. There are real problems that we have no solutions for. And we're struck with a sense of helplessness. How could it be that a virus spreads like wildfire across the world? And when we first heard about this weeks ago, as we all follow the news very carefully, what was happening in China, Japan, Iran, I think most Americans felt very uh, safe, very secure. That can't touch us. And if it comes here, we'll know how to take care of it. We have a good medical system. We'll find a cure in a moment. No problem. But we've been crippled with the real sense of surrender. This is not within our control. This is totally out of our hands. We begin Sefer Vayikra. Sefer Vayikra, we know the main theme is Karbanos. And the idea of animal sacrifice to the modern mind is extremely foreign, very difficult to wrap our heads around. And I think we brush it off, we don't pay that much attention to it, we focus on other things, uh, the Hashkafah Torah and many mitzvahs in the Torah that we relate to more, that resonate with us. And Karbanos are one of those things where, I don't know, that's not my, uh, not my area of expertise. However, the Mishnah tells us that that there are three pillars that the world stands upon. And the Rebbe Yonah interprets that to mean there are three main reasons why we exist. We are here to learn Torah. We are here to do Avoda, which we'll translate in a moment. And we're here for Gemilus Chasadim. So learning Torah, I totally understand. We know of many, many chazal, many amazing sources that speak about the profundity, the amazing tzachar of Limon HaTorah. Every word can transform ourselves and the entire world. And chesed I also understand. Olam chesed yivane, the very fabric of the universe is chesed. The goal in life is to become a selfless giver, to emulate Hashem. So Torah and Gemilus Chasadim, I understand why those are so incredibly fundamental. What does avoda mean? So the Rebbe Yonah says, avoda is referring to karbanos, the bringing of sacrifices. That's the third reason why we're here. That's the third goal of creation, 
to learn Torah, to bring karbonos, and to do chesed. So this is not something we could just push aside, not something we could spend our entire lives assuming that we don't have to get a deeper or more meaningful understanding of. This is one of the reasons why we exist. So I'd like to explore briefly what is the svara, what is the explanation, what is the rationale according to our grasp, according to our ability of karbanos. The translation that we have in English, no matter how you translate it, is deficient. Hosham Shonfal Hirsch famously writes that sometimes the word sacrifice is used, but that implies the idea of giving something up of value. And that's not really the point of a carbon. It's not just to get rid of something, to sacrifice something. Sometimes the word offering is used, but that also is totally lacking, because the connotation there is that there is some kind of wish or desire or requirement that we're trying to fulfill. And again, that's obviously not the point of a carbon. So concludes of Shamshun Rafal Hirsch, the idea of a carbon is closeness and nearness to God, which is striven for by the process of bringing in the carbon. Carbon, we know, comes from the Shorish Karav, which means to come close. That is the sole mission of a carbon, is to come closer to Hashem Yisbarach. The main question, though, philosophically, is how does that work? How does this process somehow make me more of a spiritual being? How in the world is sacrificing an animal, and again, sacrifice is not the right term, but whatever you want to call it in English, how does that bring the human being, how does that elevate the Jew closer to Hashem to create more devakis and more of a connection? And I happen to think that living in these tumultuous times where we feel helpless, we feel powerless, can actually give us a deeper insight, a deeper awareness of the message of the Karbanos and could allow us to implement this message into our lives. Now, if you were to ask most people, does tefillah take the place of Karbanos? Nowadays, we don't actually bring animal offerings, but we daven. Does the davening we do somehow take the place of the Karbanos? I think most people would say, yeah. And the Gemara and Brachos seems to indicate that. However, the Rebbe Yonah tells us that on one hand it's true, that prayer stands in place of the Karbanos, but it's not something that was instituted or created after the destruction of the Beis Migdash. To the contrary, chronologically speaking, tefillah was around way before Karbanos. Adam HaRishon had to daven for Hashem to bring rain. That was part and parcel of the completion of the creation of the universe. That when the Torah tells us to serve Hashem with all of your hearts, and he quotes the Gemara in Tainus, What is the service of the heart? That's referring to prayer. So prayer doesn't just take the place of Karbanos. Prayer was here before Karbanos. And that's one of the intrinsic aspects of our relationship with Hashem, as we daven. Like we mentioned before in a previous year, the Iker Tfila, the main part of the davening, is the Bakasha, is being able to turn to Hashem and ask for all of our needs. However, in some way, in some form, Tfila also is supplementing the Karbanos. How does that work? What exactly is the connection between Tfila and Karbanos, where Tfila can somehow take the place of a carbon? 
It's interesting, if you look in the Midrashim, there seems to be another correlation that's made as well. Medrash Rabbah tells us that when Noah brings a carbon after the Mabel, the Torah says, Hashem that Hashem enjoyed the smell of the offering, so to speak. Says the Medrash Rabbah, It was similar to the aroma that was coming up from the fire when Avram jumped into the Kivshana Eish, willing to sacrifice his life rather than compromise on his values. And Vayarach Reach Shel Chanani and Bishel three of the greatest Torah leaders of the time of the Golis Bavel, contemporaries of Daniel, they were willing to jump into the fire as well, rather than bow down to the idol. So it sounds like there's definitely a correlation between the willingness to give up one's life and the bringing of a carbon. We also find in the uh, Medrash Rabbah and Vayikra, it says, At the time that Avram was willing to sacrifice his son Yitzchak, at that point in history, that's when Hashem decided to institute the Shnei Kavasim, the bringing of the carbon Tamid Shal Shachris and the Tamid Shal Arvus. And every time the Jewish people would bring these karbanos, the Korinus Hamikra Hazet Safona Lifnei Hashem, and they would recite the verse Safona Lifnei Hashem which literally means on the north side before Hashem. Zohar Kodesh Baruch Hu as Akedas Yitzchak. Hashem would recall, so to speak, the Akedas Yitzchak. So whenever we brought the carbon Tamid, that would reawaken the feelings that would tap into the schus of the Akedas Yitzchak. What is the correlation between a carbon and the willingness of Avram or the Mesiris Nefesh of Hananah Mishel Ve'ezariah, or Yitzchak Avinu, to give their lives al Pikidash Hashem. What is that connection? The Rambam writes in the Mishnah Torah, at the end of Hilchas Me'ilah, that Karbanos, like many other halachos, many other mitzvos, they're miklal chukim hein. They're in the category of a chok, which means we don't fully understand them, Obviously, there is so much depth, there is so much chachma, and uh, the human mind can't grasp the ultimate reason or accomplishment of karbanos. But nonetheless, the Rambam is telling us, like the Mishnah already shared, that the bringing of the karbanos is not just one of the mitzvos or many of the mitzvos in the Torah, which is interesting. If you look at the actual minyan ha-mitzvos, go through the 613, the majority of mitzvot seem to relate to the karbanos. So the Rambam says, although it's a chok, although it's something that's above human comprehension, the bringing of karbanos somehow sustained the world. This category of avoda is one of the primary reasons behind our existence. However, many of us are familiar with the famous Rambam in the Moran where he does share a reason behind karbanos. And it's not a contradiction. We have many examples. The Rambam says that a particular mitzvah could be a chok or a gezer sakasuv, something outside the realm of human intellect. Nonetheless, remez yeshbo, there could be an illusion, there could be a hint. We could be privy to one of the layers of meaning. 
So the Rambam writes that the custom in the pagan world was to bring sacrifices, animal sacrifices, human sacrifices. It was something that was so normal, so accepted. That was the culture. That's how one would express their devotion to a deity, to a higher power. They would bring a sacrifice. And therefore explains the Rambam. HaKadosh Baruch Hu felt that to make us stop cold turkey, so to speak, and tell us no more carbonos, no more sacrificing people or animals or anything, and just create an environment where we turn to Hashem b'machshava through our thoughts, through our mind, through our tefillah, would have been extremely difficult to make us go from one extreme to the other. And therefore, says the Rambam, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to wean us away from the world of Avodah Hashem was slowly transitioning us from that physical, tangible form of service into a more subtle, more sophisticated form of tefillah. The Rambam says, think about it for a second. Let's say, theoretically, a prophet would come and he would tell us, no more davening. Just think in your head and communicate with Hashem through meditation, but don't actually say words. No more fasting. I'm not sure that would trouble us greatly, but if the Prophet told us you can't do anything in the physical world, there can't be any expression outside of the mind, that would be very hard to to make that transition. So therefore Hashem said, keep the basic service, you could still utilize animals, make it tangible, make it as real as you want, but just channel that avoda, take all of that energy and bring it towards me. That's what the Rambam writes in the Mar Nevochim. Now what's somewhat troubling is that the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah tells us that in the times of Mashiach, we're going to rebuild the base of Migdash, it should be Bimheira v'yameinu, makriven karbanos, and we're going to do everything we did before, and we're going to bring karbanos. According to the Rambam in the Mar Nevochim, why would we need that? We're now thousands of years removed from the pagan society. We no longer require that physical connection. To the contrary, if you were to ask any person, would sacrificing an animal help you come closer to God? Will that help you elevate yourself spiritually? I think most people would say, no, that sounds so gross. How can you be involved with slaughtering an animal? We, we don't see that. We go to the store, we have the meat all prepackaged. The whole notion of taking a life now more than ever is, is gruesome. So why would the Rambam tell us in the Mishnah Torah that when Mashiach comes, we're going to reinstitute all of those halachos? It would seem, based on the Rambam and the Mornavuchim, the, uh, the institution of Karbanos would no longer be required. The Ramban famously argues vehemently in the Rambam. The Ramban says, after quoting the Rambam in the Mordevuchim, Elu Dvarov Ubehem Herich, those are the words of the Rambam, and he elaborates, Vihineheim Divre Havoi. But those words are rubbish, to use the British expression. He says, I don't believe that for a moment. Why not? So he has a few very strong questions. He says, first of all, the Torah says in many places that when a carbon is brought, it's reach nichoach Hashem. It's a pleasing fragrance to Hashem, which Rashi always tells us means not that Hashem enjoys the smell of the barbecue, but rather we as Jews are following instructions, and that brings Hashem nachas ruach, so to speak. But it sounds like, says the Ramban, there's something intrinsically beneficial. There's an objective good to bringing a carbon. He says, furthermore, if you look back in history, who was the first person we have in the Torah to actually bring a carbon? It was Hevel. 
Hevel brings from the best of his flock, Umechalvehen, and a Kaddish Baruch who turns towards Hevel and towards his mincha, towards his offering, and he's pleased with it. And that was before there was any Avodah Zarah in the world that we had to wean ourselves away from. Noach, after the Mabel, he also brings a carbon. And again, at that point, there was a new world. There was no Avodah Zarah, there was no paganism. And we know from Midrashim that Adam HaRishon himself brought a carbon. He was the very first human being ever created. He was the Yitzir Kapov. He was the creation of Hashem. Why would he have to bring an animal sacrifice? He was not influenced by Avodah Zarah. There was no Avodah Zarah. Therefore, says the Ramban, Chalila behem shum toeles v'ratzon rak sholos avodah zarah midas hashotim chas v'sholom to suggest that the only reason for karbanos is to get us away from paganism and to suggest that there's no intrinsic benefit or accomplishment that the Ramban says I'm not willing to hear. So we have to explore what exactly is the approach of the Rambam. Why would he tell us in the Mor Nevuchim that it's only to get us out of Avodah but yet we're going to be doing it again in the times of the Beis HaMikdash? And how would we address the questions of the Ramban? That why would God like Karbanos? Why is it Reach Nichawach Lashem? And why do we have examples of people bringing Karbanos well before idolatry was ever invented, so to speak? It happens to be, though, the Rambam didn't make up this reason. What he writes in the Moran of Uchim is actually found in the Medrash. The Medrash says that you could think of the following analogy, and this could explain Karbanos. You have a king whose son goes off the derech, one of the classic misholim of a king and his son. And uh, the son is no longer acting like royalty, and he's eating all sorts of, of gross things, basar nevelos, or trefos. So how in the world do we get him back to be dignified, to be noble, to eat like a mensch? So the king says, listen, I have an idea. Just allow my son to always eat with me at my table. Right? And after he's exposed to a higher level life, although he went off the derech for many years, he's living in the palace, he's eating at my table, eventually he'll become more civilized. Says the Chazal, The same thing was true with the Jewish people. We were so incredibly influenced, we were overwhelmed by Avodah Zorah and Mitzrayim to the point where we were chasing after their gods. So Amr Kadosh Baruch Hashem said, Let them bring all of the things they like to do with the sheep and the cows and whatever. And then eventually by themselves, through their own development, spiritually and intellectually, they're going to, uh, to get past that. They're going to outgrow that stage. So the Rambam and the Mor Nevuchim did not make up this philosophy. It comes from the Medish Rabbah. And therefore the Ramban's questions on the Rambam are really questions that we could all have on the Medish itself. It seems very difficult to suggest that the whole point of Karbanos with all of the details, with all of the specifications and all of the technicalities are only to remove us from the pagan world. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something deeper. Now, one more piece of the puzzle is a very interesting puzzle we find in Parshas Noach. 
There the Torah tells us about a fellow named Nimrod. Bakush Yoledes Nimrod, who Heichelios Gibor Be'aretz. He began to be a mighty man in the world. And he was a mighty hunter in front of Hashem. So what does that Pasuk mean that he was a Gibor Tzayid Lifnei Hashem? The Ibn Ezra says, That Nimrod would actually build altars. What would he do on those altars? He would bring chayos, he would bring wild animals, and bring them as sacrifices to Hashem. That, says the Ibn Ezra, is the simple understanding of that Pasuk. Gibor Tzayid Lifnei Hashem. The Ramban over there is troubled by this commentary. And he writes, Ain't of Nirin. I don't agree with the Ibn Ezra. You're taking someone, Nimrod is a personality we know from Masora, we have a tradition, that he was not a good guy, right? He was an evil person, and you're interpreting the Pasuk in a way where it's praising him, that he was a Gibbert Tzayelif Hashem. you the Ibn Ezra are suggesting that it means he was trying to bring sacrifices to God. That, says the Ramban, I cannot agree with. So what we have here is, as we're trying to explore the nature and the meaning of Karbanos, there are many issues we're grappling with. First and foremost, the Mishnah says, Al Shlosha Devarim Alam Omeid, Al Torah, Al Avodav, Al Gemilus Chasadim. I understand Torah, we understand Chasid. Why is Avoda one of the three pillars of our existence? Why is the notion of bringing Karbanos so incredibly important? Furthermore, why does tefillah somehow take the place of a carbon? What is that connection between prayer and bringing an offering? We also saw there was a correlation between self-sacrifice and bringing of karbanos. Somehow, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is reminded of Avram willing to give up his life, Hanani, Mishal, Vazaria willing to give up their lives rather than bow down to an idol. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was reminded of Yitzchak during the Akedas Yitzchak. What is that connection between a carbon and someone willing to give up everything for HaKadosh Baruch Hu? We saw the Ramam and the Mornavuchim, where he seems to say the whole point of the Karbanos was only to wean us away from the world of paganism. That seems very problematic on many levels. The Ramban told us that from the Pasuk itself of Rech Nichalach Lashem, we find many places it sounds like a Kaddish Baruch Hu is somehow happy with the bringing of a carbon. It's objective, it's real. It's not just to get us out of a warped mindset. We have so many uh, details and instructions regarding the Karbanos. Furthermore, we have great personalities who were bringing offerings to Hashem well before idolatry was introduced into the world, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu was pleased. So the Rambam seems very difficult. Furthermore, the Rambam and the Mishnah Torah says that when Mashiach comes, we're going to bring Karbanos again. If the whole reason why we're bringing offerings is to get us out of the pagan culture, we've been out of that world now for thousands of years, and if anything, it would be counterproductive. It's gruesome for the modern man, the modern mind, to, to think of killing an animal. And like we mentioned, it's not only the Rambam's suggestion in the Moran of Ochim, but this comes from Chazal. The Medrash Rabbah says the exact same thing, so clearly there's more here. Uh, the last issue we raised was this question of the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra as to why the Ibn Ezra would interpret the Pasuk praising Nimrod when we know that he was not a good person, he had evil intentions. I want to share with you a piece from the biographical sketch of, of Kolonimus Kalmus Shapira, the great Ish Kodesh. 
And I think by getting a glimpse into this awesome neshama will help us get more clarity on the topic of Karbonos. It was on Sunday, the second day of Cholomor Sukkot, the 18th of Tishrei, in the year 1940, the Rebbe's beloved son was laid to rest. Despite their fear of being seen outside, thousands escorted Rav Elimelech ben Sion Hashem Yaakov Domo to his final resting place. The rest of Cholomoid passed in an atmosphere of gloom and despair. Simchas Torah arrived. In better days, this had been a time of great festivity in Piazesna, where multitudes of people would attend the Kafos. They would come and dance until midnight. Words cannot describe the level of the vacus the Rebbe would reach during the Hakafos, as he would be totally oblivious to the world around him. He would completely forget that he had a heart condition and ignore the pain and swelling in his damaged legs as he would dance without stopping. He would wrap his talus around his face, which glowed like a torch kindled in the honor of Torah. Fortunate is the eye that saw him on such a lofty spiritual level. Simchas Torah that year, however, took on a very different appearance. Only a small number of people participated in the hakafos, which were carried out in a great haste. Even those present were terribly worried, and they hurried home to check if in the meantime anything had transpired. Only a handful of Avrechim and Bachrim, whose heart and soul were bound to the Rebbe, felt the Rebbe's emotions that were simmering beneath the surface emotions which threatened to erupt at any moment. And burst forth they did. One of his students who had remained behind with the Rebbe and managed to survive the Holocaust recorded this description of what took place afterwards in the base Madrash. And here we have a first-hand description of one who witnessed the Rebbe's last Simchas Torah. He writes as follows. There were less than a million of broken and shattered Jews, reduced to nothing. Suddenly the Rebbe stood up and began to sing Eishas Chayil in the traditional Karlin melody with great enthusiasm and fiery devakis, as he had done during Simcha's Torah festivities in previous years. For more than an hour he continued to sing, revealing a great yearning for higher levels of spirituality. It was as if the only one it was as if he was the only one in the room completely removed from this world. Hot tears were streaming down from his eyes like rivers of water, while the sound of his voice caused hearts to tremble. Who would have believed that here was a man in the midst of mourning his only son? where the blood of tens of thousands of Jews was spilled on the street like water. He was singing in honor of the Torah which is eternal. Surely the nation to which Hashem gave His eternal Torah will also endure for eternity. No one in the world will ever manage to defeat it. Slowly the feeling of gloom and despair began to subside. We became oblivious to our surroundings, to the Nazi Satan running wild in the streets, to the exploding bombs, to the murder. We were floating in another world entirely. The Rebbe's singing grew stronger and louder, and we were all swept up by his fervor. It was as if everything was ascending to heaven along with the flame that had burst forth from his heart. Every one of us felt how the innocent dove, Knesset Yisrael, the Eishes Chayel, the crown of her husband, was spending a private moment with her beloved Hashem Yisbarach. On this day of Simchas Torah, even in the midst of this Hester Pandim, when Hashem's presence is hidden from us, we heard His voice calling to us from amidst the darkness, from amidst the clouds and the fog, Come, let us rejoice together. 
These moments are etched in my heart forever. I did not forget them even when face to face with the crematoria, and I will never forget them for as long as I live. Based on this amazing description, we have an insight into a human being with such an incredibly massive and explosive neshama. One who lost everything, but was somehow able to devote every fiber of his being, every ounce of energy left in his weakened body, all channeled towards Hashem Yisbarach. This is the greatest expression of Mesiras Nefesh, giving one's soul to Hashem. Mesiras Nefesh does not only mean sacrificing one's life for Hashem, but it means devoting one's life every fiber of my being, every ounce of energy, all of my intellectual and emotional capacity is channeled and directed towards Avodas Hashem. That's Mesiras Nefesh. Tefillah, in its purest form, is also Mesiras Nefesh. Chana, she was davening for a child, she explains, Ve'eshpoch es nafshi lifnei Hashem. I was pouring out my soul to Hashem as I was asking and begging for a child. It's an expression of the neshama to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now we think about it, and it's somewhat counterintuitive. Tefillah, like we've quoted from the Mabit, the main point of davening is to ask for things, to request from Hashem. Bakasha. That's not Mesiris Nefesh. That's not giving up of myself. That's requesting that Hashem should fill the void. Yet Rav Chaim Friedlander, the great Mashgiach of Panovich, explains that sincere tefillah is the ultimate Mesiris Nefesh. He writes in a beautiful piece he has in the Sif Sechayim that when we're asking for anything from Hashem, and we're reinforcing the belief that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Makar HaChayim, is the source of anything and everything, is the only way to have a refuah, the only way to attain Parnasa is turning to Hashem. When we have that Hakara, we have that awareness, He Nasina, that's not asking, that's not trying to take, that's actually giving. What are we giving? We're giving ourselves in total Hisbatlus. We're nullifying the Enochi. We're getting rid of the ego. And we're declaring that we have nothing without you. You're the Makarachayim, that's why we're turning towards you. There's no other means, there's nothing in the world, there's no force, there's no person that could hurt me or could help me besides you. La'avdo b'chol levavchem, to serve Hashem with all of your hearts, explains of Chaim Friedlander, Kolomar, shikol halev tzarech lios male bahagash azu, the entirety of my heart needs to be filled with this emotion, shahakol bidei kadosh baruch that everything is in your hands, everything is within your control. And if there's any part of our heart where we feel it's kochi v'otsam yadi, that I could do it, that I could somehow manage, I don't need you, az chaser hu mahus then we're lacking in the very essence of tefillah. And that essence is his batlus, a total surrender, a letting go, a relinquishing of the need to be in full control, a total acceptance of ein od milvado. There is nothing in the universe besides Hashem. Tefillah is the ability to let go of our insecurities and to turn with vulnerability to the Makar HaChayim and be able to say, we need you. We can't figure this out on our own. And that's why we're turning towards you. 
Rav Nachman Breslov used to say that one of the greatest challenges we have to approach Hashem with authenticity is our inability to somehow push aside the intellect and come to grips with the fact that sometimes we just don't know. When we feel that we could have the answer, that we could figure out everything, we could make things good, we could fall into traps, we could be mistaken, we could be so off base. The the main point in Judaism is to be able to go into the darkness, to be led by Hashem, with a sense of purity, with sincerity, with simplicity. I don't need to know the answers, but I know that I'm with you. And this is really the main focus of Karbanos. Now, obviously, there are many layers, there are many dimensions, and much is beyond our grasp. Ultimately, like the Rambam told us, bringing a carbon is a chok, it's lamalim and a seichel. But rem is yeshbo. But there is a hint, there is a message here for us. The Maral explains that Siva Hashem Yisbarach Bahakaravas Akarbin that Hashem instructed us to bring Karbanos for what purpose? Kihanim Soim Ain Lehem Kiyum Beloela Vehem Tuluyimbo. The bringing of a carbon is a physical manifestation of our complete hisbatlus, of our nullification before Hashem. The Maral says, the bringing of a carbon was the way to physically express hisbatlus. I am nullifying myself, I am letting the ego go, I am pushing aside the seichel, I am willing to come to grips with the fact that there is so much more above and beyond me. And my only goal in life, my only aspiration is kirvas Hashem, closeness with Hashem, wanting to be one with Hashem. The ultimate Ava, the love that we're striving for, that we're trying to develop, the achtus, the unity of that relationship, as we know that Ava and achtus go together, the gematria of Ava, which is 13, is the same gematria as Echad. We're striving for that oneness. Kol inyin hakarbanos lahoros ki Hashem yisbarach yachid ba'olam ve'efezulaso. Says the Maral, this is the philosophy, this is the nature of a carbon, to demonstrate that it's all Hashem. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. The only reality in the world is Hashem yisbarach, and there's nothing, nothing besides Hashem. And this is why whenever we have a mitzvah relating to a carbon, the Shem Hashem, the name of Hashem that's used, is not Kel, is not Elohim, but it's always the four-letter name of Hashem, representing the Achtos, the unity, the essence of the Bariolam. That's why the third Sefer of the Torah, Sefer Vayikra, is known as the Sefer Hanorah. The morale says that every sefer of Chumash corresponds to that tefillah of Moshe Rabbeinu that we say every day in Shemona Esrei. Hakel, Agadol, Hagibor, Vahanora. And the sefer Vayikra corresponds to the word Hanora, which literally means, You are the only source of Yira. You are the only thing I fear. Kihu Echad. Because you are the one, and there is nothing else. There is nothing else to fear. 
And the incredible thing is that when we say this every day, if we could have in mind, as we're saying the word Hanorah, we're feeling empowered. There's nothing else to be frightened of. There's no person. There's no terrorist group. There's no virus. There's nothing else to be concerned for. My only goal, my only aspiration in life is to come closer to you, and therefore the only thing I fear is a separation or a distance from you. And through this dramatic process of taking an animal, of taking something that has chius, it's alive, it's conscious on some level. There's no neshama, but there is a nefesh. And we take this and we elevate it, and we demonstrate in the most real and tangible way Mesiras Nefesh. It's really an expression of our soul desire to dissolve into the infinite, to nullify ourselves as part of Hashem, to be one with Hashem. Ve'eshpoch es nafshi livnei Hashem. Just like sincere tefillah is a pouring out of the soul, it's a hisbatlus, it's a nullification, bringing a carbon with the proper mindset with the real focus and the real intent, is the exact same notion. It's his batlos. It's eshpoch, it's nafshi lifnei Hashem. Is it gruesome? For the modern mind, the answer is still yes. But ironically, it's that very same reaction. The reason why we're moved, the reason why we recoil from the taking of a life is because it is a life. And I'm also a life. I'm a different, more elevated, more conscious spiritual being, but we share that same common nefesh. And in the right context, in the right setting, with the proper hashkafa sachayim, the carbon has the ability to enhance and strengthen my own commitment and my mesiras nefesh. Eshpoch es nafshi lifnei Hashem. Ashlosha devarim ha'olam omed. Avoda is so much more than the bringing of sacrifices. Avoda is Masiras Nefesh. It's a giving of oneself. It's a channeling of everything that I am. It's a Hisbatlus. It's our thirst to dissolve and become part and parcel of Hashem. This avoda was demonstrated through the Karbanos, and this avoda continues every single day of our lives through our tefillah, Eshpoch es nafshi lifnei Hashem. We turn to you, Hashem, and we say, Ein lanu ella ata, we have nothing besides you, but with you we have everything. And although we're asking for many things, we're asking Hashem to please protect us and to heal all of those who are in need of a refuah and to bring parnasa to so many people who are suffering greatly. But that is the greatest hisbatlus, reinforcing the truth that it's all in your hands. And that's why it's not at all surprising that tefillah takes the place of avoda. Tefillah is avoda. The tefillos that we daven every day, those are our karbonos. It's the mesiris nefesh, it's the hisbatlos. And it's not surprising that when Noach brings his carbon, Vayarach Hashem es reach and yichoach, reicho shel Avram Avinu, there was an essence of that same aroma of Avram Avinu who was willing to give up his life, which was the same energy, the same hisbatlos of Hananiah, Mishal, Vazariah, who were willing to jump into the Kibshan Eish rather than bow down to Avodazara, which was the schus of Akedas Yitzchak. The nature of a carbon is Mesiras Nefesh. 
we're devoting everything that we have, everything that we are, to you. What is the definition of Avodah How do we define idolatry? So the Mishnah Buru in the very beginning of Simon Aleph quotes from the Sefer Echinuch. Shalom Bishum Elohim Zulaso. That we're instructed not to believe in any force besides Hashem. Shinamar, like it says in the Osiris Adebros, and even if one believes that I know God is in charge of everything, it's just I happen to also believe that there could be celestial forces out there that also have power. There could be independent forces besides Hashem, whether malachim, stars, planets, people, or a virus. Hareze moda bavodazara, that is considered idolatry. And we are in violation of having other gods. Elohim acheri means other forces. The only way to avoid the mindset of idolatry, not the practice of idolatry, but the only way to refrain from Avodah Zorah and the way we think and the way we perceive the world is to believe in all dimensions of reality it's Al Hashem. There's nothing in the created world that can do anything against the will or without the directive of Hashem. Explains the great Rav Gedal Yeshor in the Or Gedal Yohu. He says, this is exactly what the Rambam meant. The need to distance ourselves from idolatry doesn't only mean the practice or the behavior of idolatry. But rather the Rambam was trying to explain the need for Karbanos was to get us out of the pagan world, the pagan mindset, the feeling or the world view that there's Yesh Elohim Acherim, there are other forces, or that I myself am an independent force. This was the main intent of the Rambam. Karbanos always served as a vehicle for expressing his batlus, for creating more of an awareness of Ein Od Milvado. And this explains why people were bringing Karbanos well before idolatry, and why it was Reach Nichoach Hashem. Explains the Orgadayahu. The hargasha ba'atzmoshu dover nifrad v'yesh, the natural feeling, even if my name is Adam Harishon, even if I was created directly from Hashem, there could be a tendency to feel that I'm independent. There's a yesh, there's an enochi, there's something distinct and separate from Hashem. B'koach atzmo. That's why Adam Harishon, that's why Noach, that's why Hevel, they all brought Karbonos, to separate and remove themselves from any sense, from any feeling of independence, from Elohim, Acherim, from other forces, mainly themselves. To get out of their mind, any thought of separation, any machshava shall peirud. Now we look back at the Pasuk in Parshas Noach, that Nimrod was a gibor tzayid lifnei Hashem. 
He was a mighty hunter, and Ibn Ezra says he built Mizbechos, he created altars, and he sacrificed Chayos. Chayos are wild animals. We know throughout all of the halachos of the karbonos, we never bring chayos on the mizbeach, we never sacrifice wild animals. We have domesticated animals. Explains of Isaac Sher, what was Nimrod trying to do? Why was he sacrificing wild animals? Clearly, it was his way of demonstrating his own power, his own prestige, his own fame and reputation. Look at this! I'm taking a lion, I'm taking a bear, and I'm sacrificing it. There was nothing to do with his batlus. There was no nullification of himself. To the contrary, it was the exact opposite. Zevach Rashoim Toeva. From the outside, perhaps it looked similar to the avoda of bringing a carbon, but had nothing to do with real avoda. It was stoking the coals of his own ego. He had his own agenda. It was nothing to do with Hashem. It was everything to do with himself. The Ibn Ezra is not praising Nimrod at all, but rather he's revealing his inner selfish motivation. And this is why when it comes to avoda in general, and this is very relevant, halacha l'maysa, if it was the avoda of the karbanos, or art fila, our avoda Hashem, if it's lacking sincerity, if I'm not really pouring out my heart, if I'm not authentic, that I'm lacking in the very essence of the avoda. It's not hisbatlos, it's not giving myself over, it's not mesiras nefesh. It's not avoda. When Shmuel was criticizing Shol for not following instructions, for not destroying Agag, Melech, and Malik, Shmuel tells him, Do you think Hashem wants your animals? Do you think He wants your sacrifices? He wants you to listen. Just listening, even though you may not understand, even though it may not resonate with you right now, but that's the Hisbatlus. This is your Mesiras Nefesh. This is Avoda. And this was the exact same critique of Yeshaya Hanavi when he was speaking B'Shem Hashem. Shimu Devar Hashem Kitsinai Stom. HaKadosh Baruch was reaching out to Kalal Yisrael and basically saying, Please stop bringing your karbonos. Lamali rov I don't need these. If it's not coming with a sense of hisbatlus of mesiras nefesh, this is not the carbon I had in mind. I'd rather you not bring it in the first place. And the same harsh warning was given by Yeshaya regarding tefillah, regarding the prayers of Klal Yisrael. Yeshaya says in Perek Chavtes, Yan ki kibduni. This nation is praising me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Real avoda is something that's very difficult to acquire. And I think on some level, Torah and chesed is easier. It is more tangible. Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of learning going on, and that's something that I could quantify. How many hours a day am I setting aside? How much am I finishing? How many blot have I done? Chesed is also something that's fairly quantifiable. I did this for somebody. I spent 15 minutes helping somebody out. I went to the grove and I picked up some food for them. But avoda is so difficult because there's nothing we could point to. The carbon can look the exact same. The tefillah could look the exact same. But the avoda can be worlds apart. The Nesiva Shalom writes that ze iker tachlis avodas Hashem. This is really the main goal of avodas Hashem.
יש אנשים העוסקים בתורה ועבודה אבל אינם מקריבים את עצמם. There are people who devote their lives to Torah and Avoda, but they don't devote themselves. It's not a giving up. It's not a working past my limitations to be bottled to Hashem. And what ends up happening is, I do what I'm comfortable with. I excel in those areas of Torah that resonate, and those that require more pushing or more self-sacrifice, those I don't do. The rest of the Torah I do in more of a habitual way. We live in times where surrender is something that we can relate to. Or like Rav Nachman Breslov said, getting past my own intellect, getting past my own ego is something that's very difficult. But that's the call of the hour, and it's something that we have more of a connection to now than ever before. The ultimate sacrifice is not the carbon, is not my tefillah. The ultimate sacrifice is the giving of myself. The channeling of all of my qualities, all of my kochos, all of my energy, to uplift others, to pour out my neshama and my tefillah, to have a deeper, more committed connection to Libat HaTorah, anything I possibly can, living with passion, living with that commitment, will have an awesome impact on ourselves, on our family. And when people see that it's sincere, it's authentic, there's a real Mesiras Nefesh, that's the most inspiring thing in the world. That's the ultimate sacrifice.